Mr. Pop. This is Rock and Roll, your weekly shot of sport and music with Kevin Hillier, Brian Mannix, and Mark Fine. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, welcome to Rock and Roll. My name's Kevin Hillier. With me, as always, uh, my two very good friends and colleagues and co-hosts and uh, and cohorts. And is there any other word that starts with co that I coat hangers? I don't know. Uh, it is Brian Mannix. Cooperation, and you'll get none from me. <laughs> okay, and and Mark Fine. Hello, Finey. COVID victim. Yeah, COVID, of course, COVID, <laughs> COVID, yeah, of course. Hey, how are you, boys? Let's start with you, uh, Mr. Fine. How's your week been? Uh, they're at uh, fabulous Lenny's Fine Feeds in North Caulfield. Yeah. yeah, very good, very good. All going well, another tattoo. What have you had done this week? Well, I don't know oh, he's got his – he's showing us his left breast. Trust Thank God universe. for that. Trust the universe. Fuck the universe. Trust. Oh, bust the universe. Trust. Oh, trust the, the universe. The universe. <laughs> well, you know. There better be something for the universe. <laughs> so, so I thought I was talking to Brian. Uh, just, <laughs> not that Brian would ever get a tattoo. He's not soiling that body for anybody. No. Yeah. No. no, but um, and Nick got the same tattoo. Oh, there you go. Not in the same spot. Oh, I was going to say, can we? No, I wasn't going to say, can we see Nat? So yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that at all. Um, on her butt? No, 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 no. On her underside of her arm. Oh, okay. Nice. Yep, that's very fashionable. I can't believe how many how many people, men and women, I've seen with the underside yep. of the arm done. Yeah, good spot. Is that a, so is that a new that is that a new thing? Because I I've just the last or maybe people have got short sleeve shirts on for a change. That hasn't happened for a while, but it looks like a new trend. Yeah, well, it's not that obvious a place, so you can sort of it, – it's not that visible and it's yeah. not painful and it's not a tramp stamp and it's not a not a, 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 a Polynesian tattoo on your face. So, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, your week, Mr Mannix, how's it been? Oh, i got a Polynesian tattoo on my face, Kevin. <laughs> it's, it's a bit scabby. Um, but I tell you what, wait till the chicks get a load of me with my tattooed face. So I've got cobwebs all over it. And the, Have you seen I the M&M's cobwebs. ad where the, where the bloke's got the, ta- the cobweb on the face and the M&M's are talking to him? No, I haven't. Oh, no. you've got to see that one. It's quite cute. Nah. Well, good. Quite cute. Yeah, so, what are you, you been doing? Have you been gigging? Have you been working? Have you been sloughing no, away I, there on the Gold Coast? What's going on? I've I'm, I'm, I'm been complaining, actually, Kev um, and Fanny. Um, <laughs> I was supposed to be doing some cruise uh, last weekend, and I blew out work to do it because I was supposed to work with the Androids. And then they come back and they go, oh, look, the tides are a bit thing, so we're not going to do it. You know, it's like, well, you know. I don't care whether you're not going to do it. You should still pay me a cancellation fee or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. And, you know, like it's, yeah, it's really impacted on me quite a bit because it was, it was a pretty good payer. And, um, you know, I've got body corporate and rates and then I've got tax coming up. It's like, no, I needed to be making some money. So I'm a little bit, um, 
disappointed about that and really disappointed because, okay, when you're 23 and you get f***ed over by the music industry, you kind of, oh, that's part of it. But, you know, I'm 61. Don't f*** me over anymore. It's yeah. just, you know, you know, look, you know, you want to cancel the, the thing, then you pay me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether the guy that's managing it is, I told him to go and get some money off him. But, um, oh. I, you know, and it's not, it's not about the money. It's just about the principle that people can f*** around with your lives. Yeah, I agree. And say, well, you do this and you do that. And they go, oh, no, we're not doing that now. Bad luck for you. Well, you know, it's too late for me to get any other work. And, um, yeah, so I found that quite disappointing at a time when I've got so many bills at the moment. But anyway, that's all right. Did you um, – what, did you, what, did what you, was the reason? Yeah, I was about to say, did you say the tide was the reason? Yeah, they, they couldn't move the boat out a certain tide. Oh, that's their bullshit excuse. I don't know. The but, tide. Uh, well, the tide, they couldn't move the boat out till 11 o'clock at night or something, so therefore there was no need for me to do a show that night. So therefore – Go f- yourself, Brian. Well, you know. Oh wow! It's not, it's not the it's not the way I do business, and um, and I find it pretty disappointing that um, in this day and age they're still treating musicians like a piece of shit. Uh, so you know, the, there we are, and here we go. But um, I don't want to, uh, you well, know, soil well, the I, show I, with my complaints. I've spent quite a bit of time. Talking to some girls lately, and what I've found is when you say, How are you? What they hear is, Give me a list of every f-ing thing that's gone wrong in your life. <laughs> oh, God, help me. Anyway, that's enough whinging from me. Oh, no, it's not. I'm sure we'll get more. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a big chance. There's a big chance. Hey, yeah, did you say you blew some gigs out with the Androids? To do this to cruise do, thing. To do the cruise, uh, yeah. What a pity, because Timmy's such a good fella. Yeah, he's a great bloke, and I would have rather, you know, worked with him than get screwed up the ass by um, whoever the freaking cruise people were. Yeah, but anyway. Fair enough. You know, it's like Rocky says, life's going to hit you. It's going to knock you down. going to knock you, hit you harder than any other box that will ever hit you. But you got to pick yourself up and keep moving forward. So I'm picking myself up and I'm moving forward. Have you watched Tulsa King? No. It's the, the new series that Stallone's done? I think it's on binge. I don't have binge. But, yeah, I love anything Stallone's. It's in. on Paramount. Awesome. I think it's Paramount Plus or whatever. Yeah, it might be through binge. I'm not sure. Uh, watch that's it. Actually, it's that, ter- that's terrific. actually co- coincidence. What? That Brian loves everything Stallone's in. <laughs> Oh, shit, stop or my mum will shoot you. That was he, He's no good at comedy. But um, I watched Rocky Six the other night and, you know, I don't know. I reckon he should have got um, a nomination for uh, Best Supporting Actor in Creed when he was sick and he, yeah, I, you know, look, I think he's he writes some really cliché but good dialogue. Um, no, I'm a big fan, big the fan. first and only but- time you'll ever hear the words... I watched Rocky Six the other night. Why? Oh, God. I'd, watch, I'd watch it again. It's terrific. Fair yeah, income. Good God. If you watch it twice, that's Rocky Twelve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I actually, I actually dislike everything Stallone has ever been in. Mm, really, including the first two Rocky films. Oh yeah, they're all rubbish. Typical yeah, American, oh, God, I hate movies like that. 
Well, don't say Top Gun Maverick. That's <laughs> worse. Well, I won't. Well, I won't be. No, I, I didn't. I, I liked the two, first two Rocky films. I didn't know. I'm sorry, it went a bit far for me after that. But you know, I'm, two's probably my limit with most films. Um, this Tulsa King thing that I've, I've I've watched the whole series, the first series. I actually quite enjoyed it. He sort of, uh, not he sort of, he takes the piss out of himself and the fact that he is what he is. Um, and I and I actually, I actually really like the character in in Tulsa King. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, you should I, watch I, it. I think, I think he's terrific. Um, but Rocky Two, just back to Rocky Two, and I've done this many times. Yep. Round one in Rocky Two. Count how many times he gets punched in the face, full on, not blocked, just full on whacked in the face. It's between 74 and 76 times, and they don't stop the fight. <laughs> <laughs> and the round only went for three minutes. Yeah, so he's getting just belted. But you can't get hit 74 times in the face in three minutes. It just doesn't happen. Well, I mean, no, if you watch the movie. I know that's part of the movie and part of Rocky, but I just can't watch rubbish like that. You know, you get punched once in the face, you're gone by a proper opponent. Yeah, well, Rocky's whole strategy is that he'll tire the bloke out by letting him punch him in the face. And, you know, um, and, you know, and on Rocky 3, he's got the audacity to call boxing coordinator. Sylvester Stallone. There's no boxing in Rocky Three or in most of them. It's just two blokes whacking each other in the head, you know, around haymakers, and it's nothing to do with boxing. But anyway, yeah. I enjoyed the movie more than Top Gun. Yep. Well, yeah, it probably wouldn't be hard. All right, cricket. Yep. Shahkawaji back to form. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, but they're not calling for his head. They're calling for Warner's head. Uh, the, some of the uh, the old school players, I see uh, Rodney Hogg's one, Mitchell Johnson's another. There's been a whole whole crew of them uh, all calling for David Warner to be dropped from the test side. Thoughts, Finey? Well, they need to because they're just going to bring the spinner straight on. He's completely all at sea. Look, he made that, what, he made a 200. What's his other last 10 test scores been? And he was abysmal in the big bash. And uh, and seeing cricket, if you're out of form as an opening batsman against fast bowling, um, but you've got ability, I think you can turn it around. But against spinners on spinning wickets, you're dead, you're dead man walking. Yeah. If you if you're not using your feet properly, he just looks completely. He looks all at sea. So he who really opens does. the batting? So I'm I'm all for okay. He's out of form. Drop him. Who opens yeah. the batting? You're not sticking oh, I, with Kawaja. He's just a shit out. Well, you're de- now you're saying hurt. we're going to get rid of both of them. Now you're saying we're, so well, we got to, I mean, someone's I, got to open the batting. No, I'll no, you, you've got... because he's, I reckon he's got points in the bank. Okay, he's, he's he hasn't gone well. And he's been a bit dodgy lately, but I think he over the past he's done enough that I'll give him another chance. Whereas Kawaja, he only well, makes runs when it doesn't matter, and he can't he's, play spin. He's he's struggling, but he'll struggle too. But he looked better. He looked more likely. Yeah, I agree. Um, but hey, I didn't didn't Warner make seventeen, and Kawaja only made five. Yeah, I mean Warner just looked terrible. I'm sorry. 
just looks shocking. Yeah. Neither of them look very good, let's be honest. But uh, but uh, So who opens the batting? We, had, we don't have another opener on tour. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd go with – I know this is ridiculous, but I'd go with Renshaw. Yep. Not ridiculous because he had good form coming into it. Well, he opened the bat. Well, didn't he start as a test opening batsman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he could open. I think he's got a hamstring. Um, is there not a hamstring issue with him? Oh well, then that's a problem. Yeah, I think um, I think he's got an injury, so I don't think he'll be opening. So Pete Hanscom or Travis Head? No, Hanscom. Okay. And then into the middle order, Head and Green. Yep. Yeah. But now there's this new theory. Who's the guy they're going to bring in? Aren't they flying uh, Matt Kuhneman over? He's flown yeah, in. But that's because Swepson's flown home because his wife's about to have their child. Yeah, but then McDonald said he's a real chance to play. I don't know how that works out, but anyhow. I, I'm assuming they're going to play three spinners. Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> Alex Carey goes up to number six. I don't. Uh, what's the point? Is Green good enough to be in the side as a batsman? Uh, no, no, look, if he's playing, because it's his finger, if he's playing, he can bowl. So he bowls, Cummins bowls, and Stark obviously comes back into the team because he's fit? Well, not if they play three spinners. Yeah, play the spinners, don't worry about the fast They'll play three there. spinners and then they've got three spinners with... Green, Green. and Cummins to open the bowling. Yeah. Gee whiz. And Kerry bats... Or- Kerry. Or they play Stark instead of Kuhneman. Yeah, well, they're saying Kuhneman will be in the team if he flies out. Because yeah. you're not going to drop Murphy, the only, the only no. shining light in the entire <laughs> mess that was the first test he was bowled, he bowled Murphy. Right. He did, he bowled well. I think he bowls yeah. a bit quick, finally. Did you think that? Uh, he's got two paces. He, I saw he's bowling 90 or 80. Yeah, but... Uh, the one he held back was quite a good yeah. delivery. I don't think he bowls it often enough. Yeah. I don't think I I don't think he'll go as good in the next test because they'll have video footage of him now. They didn't have any any information on him. Let me tell so, you, taking taking seven for, I think not even taking a lot of wickets that Nagpur proved to proved no help to one former Australian spinner. I can tell you that. That much. would be Jason Crazier, correct? Who took eight for? Did he take eight or yeah. seven? Well, he took 11 for the match, Yeah, so I think 8 and 3, maybe. Well, the, the, it helps if the opposition bats twice. You can get more wickets. Yeah, that's right. If they don't bat so, twice, you only get what you get in the first innings. So, the only, Yes? So, the only batsman that I thought looked like he was having a go, because they were all just sitting back on their back foot, blocking and blocking and blocking, and it wasn't working. They were losing wickets like, you know, they were dropping dead every 10 seconds. You know, I had two beers and saw fucking seven wickets fall. <laughs> um, you know, so they'll all be all out before I finish the second beer. And they I were know. nine for. And we know but how quick you at drink. Least, at least, well, I'm a good drinker. But um, Kerry at least got on the front foot and tried to sweep it away and do some of this. You know, like, if you, in I'm, any I'm sport. Not sure, I'm not sure you it, should be playing a reverse sweep. Oh, with you. But it worked. It worked. And I just thought, well, at least he's trying something. The rest of them are just sitting there waiting to go out. And I just thought, you know, be aggressive. You know, and at that point we were so 
going to get beaten, you may as well just start playing big bash league or one day cricket and have a crack, you know, get it over that the field's all in really tight. So just belt it over their head, you know, run down. I'll, the give, field, you, I'll give you some news. I'll give you the headline. Mm-hmm. We can't win a test. We're going to get annihilated. <laughs> well, if we keep playing like we did, I thought it was. Um, but, but you sort of think Australia is a very good test team. They could fight back, but they actually can't because they, their bowling is much better than ours because it's not just been the turn. You see, spinners that turn the ball is one thing. But they actually get bounce. Ashwin gets bounce. He does, doesn't he? Yes. He's a tall man, they though. They come forward to him and whatever. Their third spinner, I mean, you look at the danger. Axar Patel is better than any of our batsmen. <laughs> and I think he's better than any of our bowlers. Oh, dear. And he's like, the, and he's like the fill-in at number seven. I mean, you saw how good Rohit well, – they're just too good yep. over well, there. What, what surprises me is, like, it's not like the Australian cricket board's short of a dollar, you know. So if you're going to go and play in India, let's get some Indian curator out here, prepare a pitch in Darwin that'll be like the Indian ones and go and practice on that before you go there. And if you're doing play in the Ashes, build, get an English curator out here, get down to Tasmania, and practice on what you're going to be playing on. Have a good time, that's Brian. All well good. That's all well and good, Brian, if there were 17 months in the year. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got no time now. They they landed in India and five days later they're playing a test match. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It is. Well, it's stupid. In the old days they would have played two or three lead-up games at least. Um, they, they used to play the President's Eleven, the Cricket Board Eleven, yep. the Tramways Eleven. The train <laughs> depot eleven, yeah. the Chinese man from the reject shops eleven. Yeah, exactly, they played all them, all them. Yeah. Now they yeah, now yeah. they arrive and they play within three days. But, now I have but, done something. There was something good come out of this test. What's that? Well, you know, I love compiling teams and trivia and stuff like that. Yes. So Todd Murphy. Being bespectacled. Oh, he is too. Prompted me to do my bespectacled 11. Oh, oh, oh. A world or Australian? All time world 11. All time world. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Ooh. You ready? Yeah, go on. Favoring the bat- batting was a very famous name and a great cricketer in his own right, Walter Hadley, the father of. Not only Richard. Sir Richard Hadley, he actually had three sons play for New Zealand. Dale? Dale, Richard and Barry, who played in the inaugural World Cup one-day series. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. One-day Okay. Well, he'd want to be a good cricketer. He's shit out of picking children's names. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What do you got, Richard, Barry, and who was the other dickhead? Dale. Dale. Oh, Dale. That just, you know, yeah, welcome to the, the the castle. Okay. Um, <laughs> the but he, he played his whole career in glasses. Okay. What was his first name? Walter. Walter Hadley. Oh, another dickhead name. There you go. <laughs> Never had a chance Wal- of kids. Have you ever met somebody called Walter? They're all dickheads. 
<laughs> right, eh? Uh, I remember when I was at the Sydney Olympics, I saw a guy walking al- along, um, holding one of those really long sticks. Yeah. And I yelled, le- leant out of the car and said, are you a pole vaulter? He goes, no, I'm German and my name is Siegfried. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, um, opening the batting with uh, Walter? Is somebody who later on in his career exclusively wore glasses or maybe earlier on in his career, but definitely wore glasses. So, Jeffrey, is it Sir Jeffrey Boycott? Yeah, don't think he wore glasses when he. Yeah, it is, sir. Uh, don't think he wore glasses yeah, when he played. Both. It's Lord Boycott. Yeah, 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 no, no, boycott. Boycott. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he wore glasses. I've got pictures of him playing test cricket okay. in glasses. Oh, right, there you go. Hadley, At number boycott. three, yes. Number three, a magnificent number three from Pakistan, Zahira Bhatt. Ah, oh, yes, very good. I knew he'd be in there. Yep, he's geez, he was a good player. Good player. So did I. I knew he'd be in there yep. too, Keith. Well, yeah. How many Aussies in this lineup are yours? Any? Uh, a few. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Number four, the greatest, the captain of the greatest team of all time, Clive Lloyd. Clive Lloyd, the super cat. Yeah, had to be. Um, at number five was a player drafted into the English team when they were getting absolutely annihilated by the Australians in the mid-70s with Tomo and Lily at their best. And he proved to be – he came from nowhere. Nobody at the start of the series had him anywhere near test cricket. He was in his 30s. He was a, a, a sort of a, a – Meat and potatoes man in county cricket. Oh, um, but he he showed great resolve and actually became a bit of a cult hero. Did he open the batting at one stage too? No, no, batted at number four or five. Okay, David Steele. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. I thought he was actually he opened. He might have opened for his county with the steel rimmed glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember David Steele very well. This very stodgy player. Yeah. Steely, you know, steely grey hair. Yeah, and yep. Had the had the silver fox hair going on. Now, speaking of the silver fox hair, mm-hmm. at number six, somebody who never played Test cricket, or even state cricket, or even district cricket. Well, how's he getting the lineup? Because you're picking. He it. was sexual favours, perhaps the most famous Australian. <laughs> With the one of the most famous Australian cricket photos of all time, with his glasses getting smashed, and I speak of oh. our former Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Bob Hawke, oh. yes, yes, very good, yes. yes. That is one of the most famous cricket now, photos. Now they a handy cricketer. It was a it was a politicians versus Canberra journalists annual game, and the bowler was from the Melbourne Herald, Gary O'Neill. Right. And he bowled him a short one, and of course, ah, Bob tried to <laughs> hook, the, <laughs> uh, hook the ball. And uh, Jesus, he, uh, oh, he smashed him. glasses all over me. Flies. Uh, your guts for gutters, that uh, fellow. What's your name, boy? Uh, uh. Correct. So I thought he deserved a spot. Yeah, no, good, fair enough. Bobby's in there. Not many wicket keepers with glasses. Spectacles, but I did find one. 
Farouk Engineer, no, he didn't wear glasses. Um, no. Noddy didn't wear glasses. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, you won't probably get him. Wally didn't. Marsh I'm didn't. sure you won't. Uh, no, no, okay. Oh, did Richie Robinson wear glasses? No. No, okay. Oh, no, the no. New South Wales, no, he didn't. Uh, what's he done? No, but there was somebody from Queensland who did. Ah, Ray Phillips. Correct. Now, Ray Phillips did go on a tour of England as Australia's second keeper. Yeah, he did. Never played a test match. Yeah, you're a good player, Ray. Now, I was – he was supposed to. I I played in two Maccabee games, very high standard of yeah. cricket. Yeah, yeah, he would have been. Now, Ray Phillips is Jewish, and he was selected to play in 1989, but um, got seconded into a – into the Australian squad to tour England, I think after Rickson got badly injured, injured okay. his hand or something. So Ray Phillips makes his presence felt. He should. He good, no, very good, uh, very good keeper for Queensland. Terrific Queensland record. Fast bowler, one of the great all-rounders of all time, somebody I had the privilege of interviewing a few times, was a great, great, generous with his time on radio, always took my call. Sadly, no longer with us. The pig farmer known as Billy Bunter from Transvaal in South Africa, Eddie Barlow. Yeah, very good player. Exceptionally good player. At number 10 is somebody who played his entire career in glasses, though we never saw it, but a very good cricketer during the Bradman era was Bill Bowes of England. Oh, yeah, I remember the name. Yeah, and he only ever wore glasses when he played. He was a quick, wasn't he? Yep. A left was he a lefty? I'm not quite sure. He I, got a, I got a feeling he was a lefty. Now, number ten, mm-hmm. somebody who didn't wear spectacles when he played cricket, but he is the only fast bowler ever to have bowled, and you can go online and watch this spell in sunglasses. A fast bowler wearing sunglasses have to be that. Uh... The um, what do they call him? The Marrakesh Express. No, what's he called? The Punjabi the Express. Yeah. yeah, no, no, it's an Australian. Oh, and Australian wearing sunglasses whilst he was bowling, quick bowler. Well, he only... how do you spell wanker, Brian? Yeah. Um, well, in this case, G I double L E S P I E. Did is he? Did he really? Yeah, in a game against the West Indies, you can did go he? online and see it, and it's funny because. They were five for 25, and with his second ball, he had the batsman brilliantly caught a cover, but it was a no ball. So maybe he shouldn't have been wearing <coughs> sunglasses. Yeah, maybe he shouldn't have. Oh. Now, the number 11 spot goes to a spinner, and there are a multitude of spinners. You know, it almost goes with the territory, doesn't it? Sort of nerdy spinner wearing glasses. <laughs> yeah, the librarian look. Yeah, so I haven't gone for the best bowler. I've just gone for the one that looked... Most nerdy in glasses. So you didn't go for Daniel Vittori? No. So the nominations were Vittori, Santner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Narendra Hirwani, who took 16 wickets on debut for Pakistan but never really kicked on. I was going to say, can't remember him. Murray Bennett. Oh, yeah. That left armour for played for WA in New South Wales, yes. Yeah, and in Australia. Yeah, yeah, he did too. Famously got Viv Richards out with his arm ball. Oh, God, did he really? Famous delivery at the SCG. But the winner for the – and he's now the captain of the team – is Dilip Doshi yeah. of India. 
Yes. Who used who to spend? Looked, who used to spend? Who looked like Urkel. Yes. Who used to spend an inordinate amount of time with his middle finger up in the prone position, a la Brian Mannix, pushing his glasses back up onto his face all the time. Yeah. Yep. Correct. So and there's that, your bespectacled eleven. Well, I've got a protest. I'm, I'm flagging yep. a pro. Where's Dirk Wellham? Well, I considered Dirk. Did you? Yeah. It's more than I would have done, but. <laughs> but but um. He was considering Dirk Bogart. Yeah. I, was, I put in Bob Hawk ahead of him. Oh, fair enough. No, okay. And, and, and mainly because he belted Barb with his yeah. bat. Yeah. yeah, he did too. That's right, when he was coming off the ground. Uh, when he was, yeah, he was coming off the ground, he had the shits because he got out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all very good, Fanny, and I know you spent a lot of time putting that together. But yeah. just while you've been doing that, I'm thinking my team – and I've only just I've only got five players so far. Mm-hmm. But my slightly overweight team Oh, don't start. Tubby Taylor, Shane Warne, Merv Hughes, David Boone, it's not uh, Ian Botham, not a bad start, is it? I can give you Colin Milburn to open the batting. Him's okay. a marble huck. Yes, correct. Who was the one that uh, Healy said to you don't get a run just because you're a fat prick? No, yeah, no. we want him in. Eddie Hemmings gets a run. Eddie Hemmings. <laughs> <laughs> or has a runner. Peter Burge was famously a very rather large chap who came out of Queensland about at number four. Yeah. Keith Stackpole was was in the in the fatty club, I think, in his day. Trevor Lachlan, given oh yeah, you know he was burly yeah. at best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the king of the team is. The West Indian spinner. Yes, What's his name? yes. I I know the like. He's he's actually a really good spinner. He's been in their team in the last kind of five or six years. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's fitting him. Got a gut on him like a poison pup. Yeah, and <laughs> and then there's the guy from Barbados or Bermuda, who took that famous catch that slips in a World Cup. Oh, I don't remember him. Oh, you got to see it. Okay. It's one of the great cactus of all time. It was, it was, you know, it was like watching Oliver Hardy slip. <laughs> and next thing, oh, what was his name? It begins with W. I'll find that. No, yeah, well, that, you have a very good, you know, skin, the, skin fold 11, we'd call it, Brian. Who, who's the bloke that's a real big legend in, the, in English cricket? He's got the big mistake. WG Grace. Yeah, well, he's a fatty. He's in the team. Well, Colin Cowdery was kind of portly for, you know, the times as well. Sounds like, sounds like we don't just have a team. We've got a squad. Rod, oh, Mar- yeah. Rod Marsh, they you know, they used to give him heaps about the size of his belly and Lance Cairns. Um, well, there was a player who played football for Essendon, I believe. I think he played a few games of senior football for Essendon. Mm-hmm. He went on to become... Australian wicketkeeper. He was known as the big ship. Oh, um, Warwick Armstrong. Yes, that's yes. And there's actually in the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame or somewhere his cricket shirt. And I swear, if you look at it, three people could fit in it. He must have been <laughs> friggin' enormous. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll refine that, Brian, because I think that's a that's a very good. Um, and we invite you to send your nominations. Used to play for Sri Lanka, and he used to always pretend he'd done his hammy, and they'd have to have a runner for him, but he was just fat. That guy. Arjuna Ranatunga. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's fat. Yeah, yeah. so that, sure. that, I think he's the one that Healy said to. That Bermudan, his name was Dwayne Leverock. Oh, uh, yeah, I know the name. Yeah, you've got to have a look at this catch, people. I'll have a look at the catch. L-E-V-E-R-O-C-K if you want to see something extraordinary. All right, there you go. So we've got a bespeckled 11 and we're working uh, working our way through uh, the all-you-can-eat uh, 11. This, this... Otherwise, if people want to see something else extraordinary, they can check out our dick pics on the Facebook page. <laughs> it's... Um... I tell you what, finally, you really have done yourself this week. It's a beautiful photo. Anyway. He's not having that. That's a bit – well, to the best of my knowledge, one of the few parts of his body he's not having tattooed in the next six months. you got to have a good look. you got to have a good look, uh, Kev. It looks like he's – no, it doesn't matter. Okay. All right, let's move on. Let's now, move on. Well, we're going to move on, and I want to bring, I want to bring uh, a mate of mine into the program now. Uh, I don't have many, so that narrows it down for everybody. Uh, Steve Woods, who wrote... Well, hello. Hello, Steve. Uh, you're, you're live on Rock and Roll. You've never done this before. Uh, with Mark Fine, Brian Mannix and myself. Now, Steve uh, wrote a couple of books called For the Record, Volumes 1 and 2, which in them, all the facts and figures you need to know about, uh, you know, the songs of the modern, modern era. Well, the, mm. it, the life one's still coming, I think, Steve, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's on its way. Yes. Um, so facts and figures about, you know, who sung what, where, who played uh, piano on this song, who did this with that, all all that sort of stuff, and for television shows as well and for movies and stuff. So I thought Steve would be the person we need to talk to to put in perspective how important Bert Bacharach was. Bert Bacharach is just up there with the best, isn't he? Because when you mention Bert Bacharach, I mean, he specialised in a particular type of pop music, but it was all elegant and graceful and lovely. And it, 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 the weird thing about it, uh, his music is that it's probably some of my earliest memories of when I used to listen to the radio as a small boy. Um, but even now, if I hear a Bert Bacharach song, I find myself listening to the whole thing. So Brian's, Brian's got a point of view about this and he's been arguing the toss with this with his mates all day. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mannix, please speak to my friend Steve Woods, and and uh, I know you know Steve, so yes, tell, I do. Tell him, uh, tell him your I, thoughts. I've got, I've got a copy of the book. I've read most of it, and it's very, very good. <laughs> Thank um, you very much. Well, it's one of those books you sort of have in the dunnies. Okay, well, I'll just have a look at this. It's been oh, mentioned yeah. that actually, so it must be true. <laughs> well, it's not something you sort of need to. No, I need to read this from cover to cover. I just have a little glance here and I have a little look there, but. I was arguing with Lucky Phil today, and, you know, there's no denying Bert Bacharach, but, gee whiz, I think Bob Dylan's probably just about got it on him, but um, Lucky Phil doesn't agree at all. I'd be interested in what you think, Steve. Well, the problem is you can't compare them because Bert wrote the music and Bob wrote the lyrics. So they're they're, they're they're operating from a different perspective. If you were talking Hell Davis, Hell David uh, wrote the lyrics, and then suddenly you you, you could lock horns with Bob Dylan. But, but Bob, I don't know whether you'd be buying Bob's albums for the music um, quality. It's more the lyric. Yeah, it's the poetry, I guess. Uh, mm. And my and and you know, but most people do Bob Dylan songs better than Bob Dylan does. And, you know, Bert Bacharach, I suppose, you know, there's always Dion and Warwick Hill or somebody else singing it for him. I heard him singing this afternoon. I thought, oh, yeah, good, get Dion back. But, um, yeah, sorry, I I go on too long. Go. But, but, the, 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 um, 
but the other thing is, uh, and again, people do great versions of um, Bert Bacharach stuff as well, like um, uh, Elvis Costello. And ironically, they have the, their their CD about to rele- be released next month. So this has put a sort of a, sort of a problem with the uh, the PR out of the thought. But, but if you recall, even back in the countdown days, when the reel suddenly turned up and they want to do uh, this guy's in love with you, and you think, oh, this will be interesting, but it's it was a great song because it was a great song. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good point. I've forgotten about their version of that. Yeah, so I mean, like, if they're going to be sort of working from those sorts of foundation stones, it's just going to it's just going to work because of the quality of the of the songwriting, and that's where you get back to Bert. Stevie, at 72, 72, I think it is, or 73, US top 40 hits and 50-odd UK top 40 hits that people, you know, sang versions of his songs, and he'll probably have another 50 in the next six months. The the amazing thing is, too, I mean, these guys just wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs that got recorded. The weird thing is he only won um, six Grammy Awards. When you sort of see the the Grammys these days where they're walking around. Beyonce's won 32. That's a joke. Well, exactly, and that's where it all gets a bit silly. But uh, he won an Emmy Award, one, and uh, three Academy Awards. So he actually wasn't the prolific uh, um, award winner, and even the number one hits weren't necessarily there as much as, say, the Beatles were. But these are songs that just keep hanging around because of the quality of the melody, which people argue is the problem with music these days, where we don't seem to have melody and we don't have harmony. Uh, it, it, we just have a sort of beat and a lot of aggression, um, yep. but the, um, the 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 this music that he's uh, written. I mean, he's even turning up in things like um, Austin Powers. I mean, yeah. I think he appears in all three movies. Yeah, he does. Which is yeah. which is, and again, you're more than happy to see him. It's it's just he just is always there. There was a time where um, he was being compared to uh, Paul McCartney, and whether uh, that question should be asked or not. But McCartney was asked about this um, and he cites Bacharach's writing as being technically superior to anything that the Beatles did. Oh, okay. I, I, and, I think one of, the, one of the things about Bert Bacharach, listening to a few of his tunes, I think, I think the production on his, because he used to produce the songs and the choice of instrumentation and the arrangement of the songs really, really helped. And I think there's a few of those songs that you just played them on an acoustic guitar. They're still a good song, but they're not as special as the way he recorded them. And, um, and he, I, I, I give him kudos for that. Well, you wonder where he may have got this from because then McCartney also mentions that uh, the Beatles actually covered uh, Bacharach and Hell David with uh, Baby It's You, which appeared on Please Please Me, yeah. the album, and um, which, of course, would have... Given uh, Bert a nice old paycheck over the years, but uh, Bert and, uh, and Hal David actually then ended up at Abbey Road Studios in 1965, and Bacharach uh, sort of arranged and conducted orchestra and played piano on things like Silla Black's version of Elfie and those sorts of songs. And George Martin was the producer, oh, so yeah. he was learning the craft from these guys fairly early. There you go. Yeah. Do you know where actually he, he actually got his? I mean, he 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 studied. Uh, jazz harmony at school and, 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 and university, but then as soon as he finished all of that, he actually got conscripted to the uh, the army, and he ended up in Germany. And he was over there for a while, and it, it, all of a sudden he's met this other guy who's been conscripted, conscripted over there, um, Victor Moan. And so he, uh, after they got discharged, um, Bacharach actually spent the next three years as Victor Moan's pianist and conductor. 
So um, from very early on, he was working with some some, some and there's a good talent there. Yeah, well, he worked with Marlena Dietrich too, which was a, a thing I didn't know about him until I was reading some stuff about him since his passing. Where does he sit for you, Steve, in your, in your top – would he be in your top five songwriters of all time? Oh, I think so. I think you have to say that because – and he's just so prolifically good at it. So it's kind of like you can't say he – you know, he's not like the knack where they had a lucky break with my Sharona. I mean, it's like he, he's there all, all along. Interestingly enough, even though he's always uh, sort of – uh, put in a, the same basket as Deoni Warwick. Um, there was probably like a, sort of a, a ten-year period where he was writing songs for Marty Robbins. So I have got uh, everybody. He uh, Perry Como. He wrote Magic Moments or yep. Magic Moments. It's, it's the only way you can say that. Uh, also, Jim McDaniel's. I remember Stan Rowe playing me a copy of this. Was uh, Tower of Strength was yeah. one of his. Good song. Yeah, good song. And, uh, and Jerry Butler with uh, Take It Easy On Yourself. So he was actually quite seasoned before he even got to the Deoni Warwick thing, but then for 20 years uh, he's recorded all of these songs for Deoni. They've, they've gone on to sell over 12 million copies, 38 singles making the chart and 22 making the top 40. And these hits are just extraordinary. I mean, things like uh, Walk On By, Anyone Who Had A Heart, Elfie, I Say a Little Prayer, which I'll come back to in a minute, uh, I'll never fall in love again. Do you know the way to San Jose? Now, Deoni Warwick has in America has had more hit singles than, in her career than any other female vocalist, except for one person who also decided to do a say a little prayer, and that's uh, Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. I mean, yeah. Wow. But then he's um, the he then did the uh, raindrops keep falling on the head, which we know is a hit for Johnny Farnham, but uh, ends up with uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids in the early uh, kids, the Sundance Kid in the like pop band uh, in the in the early seventies. But then it all went bad. It all went bad, and he had the falling out with Hal David, and they didn't really speak for about ten years. And it's something that Bert regrets and was, was saying it at Hell's funeral that he was wondering about the music that they could have written if they'd actually got over themselves. But he, he takes the full blame for the uh, the falling out that they had over the years because they were trying to put together a... Uh, they were arguing over whether they should take the movie Blue Horizon in the early 70s and turn it into a musical. And uh, Bert thought it would be a great idea, but Hell didn't. And they literally fell away and and sort of really didn't work together again very much at all. Pity, pity, and then of course he hooked up with Carol Bayer Sager, and uh, and they had he had that stretch of kind of uh, hits with Arthur's theme and and some of those well, other Arthur, movie songs that Arthur they did. Arthur's theme kind of put him back on the map a bit, didn't it? That was a bit of a resurgence for him, Steve. Well, absolutely, and Carol Bayer Sager, of course, was wife number three, yep. and he was also uh, married to Angie Dickinson for about ten years while she was policewoman. Yep. So weren't we all? We're all married to Angie Dickinson. But even when he came back in the 80s and he's doing Arthur's theme, I mean, he was also uh, writing with uh, Peter Allen and Christopher Cross and these sorts of people. Um, He wrote um, Heartlight for Neil Diamond, uh, also uh, Making Love for Roberta Flack, On My Own, Patti LaBelle and John uh, Michael McDonald, who that was his last number one hit, as a matter of fact. And, of course, the big one was That's What Friends Are For, when they uh, reunited with uh, Deanny Warwick once again in 1985 uh, to raise money for AIDS research. It's an extraordinary career. All right, Steve. Oh, th- appreciate your time, mate. Thanks for popping into the program and giving us a bit of a rundown on Bert Bacharach. We're now going to... And, sh- and we should mention again that website of fortherecordbook.com.au. That's what we should do. We should. Mm. I think we just did. <laughs> 
Lovely to chat. Good on you, mate. For, for the record.com.au. For the record, book. Check it out. Dot com. Book. All right. And appearing at a nice toilet near you. <laughs> Good on you, Steve. Thanks, mate. Thanks, All right. Well, now our job is to pick our, uh, you know, your goods and your bads. And I, when I sent the, the text to both of you, I said you can do whatever you like with it. You can do six good, six bad, three good, three bad. It's entirely up to you how you how you want to configure it. So, Finey, please. Now, I just want to say I had a lot to say about Burt Bacharach, but Steve stole my, stole my thunder. But basically, everything he said, I would have told you. <laughs> of course, I mean that was just brilliant. That was just I sat back, listened to you boys riffing there, and boy, there's an encyclopedia on two legs. Yes. You want to see? You want to see Steve Woods, a spectacled cricket team? It's even better than yours. It's fantastic. <laughs> if they were in a band, I bet you it would be. <laughs> it would be. So, what are you? How are you going to attack Bert Bacharach, Mister Fine? Well, first of all, I just want to say that. I loved his music, but I, I even prefer his casino game. Um, <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> very good. Actually, I've never understood how to play Baccarat or Baccarat or whatever it's called. I mean, I, I've watched people play it, mainly of the Asian persuasion, and I've got no idea what's freaking going on. No. But, but Bert's music, I do have some idea, and I've got three good, three bad. Okay. Well, give us your, uh, give us your number three, good and bad. Okay. So n- number three, bad. Is look, he, oh, you see, I know how David wrote the lyrics, whatever, but you've got to take responsibility for songs, don't you? So I'm taking the song as a whole. Yep, I think Hell David's got a lot to answer for. Well, well, he wrote <laughs> this song, he wrote this song, and the drifters sang it, so it should have been good, but it's just it's it's, it's inane stupidity and a little bit racist. It's called Mexican Divorce. Okay. Oh, yes. I saw that, but I didn't listen. No, you Dreadful. should have listened to it. It's about going down to Mexico, marrying a woman one day, partying with her the next, and then divorcing her the next for the perfect weekend. Right. <laughs> Seems a little rude. Yeah, well, me. not, not very, uh, very inclusive, that. No, no. You can get it all done in three days, yeah. apparently, according to Burton Howell. Yeah. Um, now, there's so many good songs to choose from. I will say this about his music. I guess as a youngster, I would have, you know, because his music's been played all the time, I can assure you that as I was discovering music from 10 years on, I wouldn't have liked his music. Yep. You know, it was a bit too no. adult for me. But the older yep. I got, I fell in love with it. And some of it is just, you know, it's it's gorgeous. Mm. So this one is a real combination of great words, but be- beautifully written music. At number three, um, is always something there to remind me. Yeah, good song, which I think is beautiful. I think it got to number one with Sandy Shaw. Yep. So uh, you know, it might not have originally been Sandy Shaw. I think it was a guy called, or somebody called Johnson. Oh, the Howard, not Howard Johnson, Lou Johnson. Lou Johnson. Yep. But Sandy Shaw, always something there to remind me at number three. And Naked Eyes, of course, had that um, disco-y diversion of it um, in yeah. the 80s, which was uh, introduced the song to a, to another uh, another generation. Right, O'Brien, how did you go about Mr Bacharach's material? 
Well, I went through it trying to find bad ones and even the bad ones, I thought the the melody and the music was great. I, I've got a bit of a beef with Hell David on a few tracks. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, my my worst one, or this isn't my worst, but I'll, I'll give you this one now. It's um, the bell that didn't jingle. What? And it's a, it's a Christmas song oh. and it's melodically it's fine, musically it's fine, but lyrically it's like, oh, please, come on, make an effort. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't say that that's, you know, hell, Burt Bacharach, he does a great job, but sometimes he allows Hal David to write some really shit lyrics, as Finey just pointed out, with Mexican divorce. Hmm. So um, the bell that didn't jingle is, uh, yeah, one of my worst. That's one where it didn't quite happen. The music's good, but um, lyrics just make it suck. So sorry, Bert. And um, for good, wow, so many. Um, what am I going to? What? Yeah, I think. Um, I, yeah, I think always something there to remind me. I, I'm going to go with that too. Um, I think it's a it's a pretty good song, and it's a it's a nice lyric, and it's got a good groove and good beat. So that's uh, yep. my good one. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's hard. To, you leave you're leaving great, beautiful, great songs out. I mean, I, I haven't put there's one I haven't put in that that Steve Woods mentioned there before. That's been done by about five or six different people. A couple of the versions I didn't like very much, and they probably colour my thoughts on the song. But I went, I went the other way. I went with oh, I haven't got any bad ones because the ones I found that I didn't particularly like it wasn't necessarily because of the song. Like I don't like the Reels version of This Guy's in Love with You. I think it's awful. Um, yeah. And I and I never really liked Herb Albert's version of it very much. Um, I can't remember who whose version, whose female version I heard singing "This Girl's in Love with You" the first time, and I thought that's a beautiful song. Dion Warwick. It might have been Dion Warwick. I'm not. I, I'm not sure that it was. Um, yeah, well, she, she had a version. Yeah, I know she had a version, but I can't remember who it was I heard, and I thought that's a lovely song. Why have I not liked it up until now? And, um, uh, yeah, so it's, but I've gone the other way. I've gone uh, with I'm going to go with six good ones. So equal number six is two songs very similar in in what they did and when they came into into being. Uh, one's the man who shot Liberty Valance, because it's just a really good good song in terms of uh, it's different musically. For I mean, it fits into the western uh, that it was in. Uh, with Jimmy Stewart and and uh, John Wayne and all those people, and the other one is uh, Marty Robbins singing the story of my life, which is just a great song, really good words. Um, I think it was Hal David who, who wrote the words to it, but just a great melody. And uh, it's one of those one of those sort of country and western moments. I, I didn't know a lot about either of those two songs much, and when I got into radio, we had to play country music. Uh, one of the songs we had to play in, in the bush in Longreach when I first started. And I found Marty Robbins. I discovered Marty Robbins as an artist, and then I discovered some of the really good songs he's done. And uh, the story of my life was one of them. I just thought it was terrific. So um, I bunched those two up together as uh, as equal in my uh, in my number six. So I've only got six songs, but they're they're equal. Uh, Finey, number two. All right, number two. Number two, good is this guy's in love with you. Okay, I love it. I think it's yep. a really simple song. I really like it. Um, I made a playlist for Natalie recently, and it's on it. The Herb Albert version. Um, yeah, whoever. Yeah. I guess that's the one. Yeah. Um, 
this time Hal David's writing was very good. And it just shows that you can write simple songs. Funny, I was listening to ACDC yesterday. Yeah. And I was thinking, their, their guitar riffs, it's just like listening to a motor car with a beautiful engine, an old motor car purring. Simple guitar riffs that must have every other bloody songwriter and, and guitarist kicking themselves. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. That's easy. Why didn't we come up yeah. with that? Well, just, you know, just do it. Do, do it. Get the basics right. You've got a great song, and I think that's what this guy's in love with you. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, now, number, number two, bad? Now, I reckon a lot of people will love this song because it's kicks and funny and different and... The music to it's actually quite good, but I say this: if, if you're a Siamese twin, and one of and one half of you is an absolute asshole, then the other one's not going to have many friends anyhow, right? Mm. So if you hit your, if if you if, if you and Hal David are, are connected at the hip for songs, and again, a lot of people are going to like this because it's so weird, but. I reckon I could have written this in the toilet whilst reading Steve Wood's book. <laughs> no, while you, while you were in the same toilet taking a crap reading Steve Wood's book. <laughs> believe me, I wouldn't want to be in there for long. No. <laughs> Beware of the blob that creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door, all around the wall, a splotch, a blotch. Be careful of the blob. Of the blob. Yeah. Oh, Hal David, what are you doing to us? <laughs> so that was the theme music to the blob. Yeah. Sung by the five blobs, obviously put together just for that particular piece. Yep. You're talking about the Steve McQueen movie. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, blob. yeah. Yep. Wow. Steve McQueen looks about 37. He's playing a 17-year-old. What a great movie. Anyway, I love it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Yeah, and and you know that you know the lesson you learn from watching the blob. I always um, remember this lesson. Don't, poke, don't poke anything with a stick when you don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good rule for life, actually. Very good rule for Nothing life. Would have, everybody would have been fine, but he had to poke it with a stick. There you go. It's a, it's a fairly great movie. I love it. And yeah, I like the, I like the remake too, you know, the remake with the uh, Kevin, Kevin Dillon. It's a really fun sci-fi movie. And I like the fact that it just, it all happens pretty much in one night. It's not like over a period of months or anything. It's like, you know, then the drag race and then the, the blobs there and the doctor. Yeah, no, it's a really cool movie. I feel like watching it again. Well, before you do, it. tell he us. poked it with a stick. <laughs> tell us we'll poke Brian with a stick. Um, we would, but we don't know what it is. Uh, now, Mr. Mannix, what do you what do you got for us next? Um, well, okay, um, for good. Now, I didn't really like this song when I was younger, a bit like what Finey was saying. You like it was a bit more too mature and was driving down a a genre that I didn't particularly like, but. It just hung in there for years and years. And I think The Girl from Ipanema is um, its a pretty cool song. And, you know, when I'm sitting on my balcony, I'll often listen to The Girl from Ipanema because I'm looking at the girls on the beach or whatever. So I think that's thats a pretty special song. It's not exactly my cup of tea, but I do have a lot of respect for it because it's just been, what, it came out in the 60s and still gets played today. So that's 
that's the uh, the good. Now, here's where we have a little bit of a problem with uh, Hell David. Mm-hmm. Wives and lovers. Now, Wives and lovers. Could you get a more sexist lyric than this? Hey, little girl, comb your hair, fix your makeup. Sooner he will open the door. Don't think because there's a ring on your finger you needn't try anymore. And essentially, the guy's saying, listen, baby, when I come home from work, you better look all pretty and be ready for a bit of rooting. Otherwise, you're dumped. And I just think it's, you know, perhaps when it was written that was appropriate, but by today's standards, lyrically, this is just a sexist piece of shit. Um, He must have written it when he was in Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's why he got divorced on the third day because he came home on the second day and she hadn't put her makeup on and, you know, she just got lazy because she had a ring on her finger, so he had to ditch her. But, um, yeah, to me that's a bit of a stinker and um, I would think it was, would be quite offensive to a lot of women if they bothered to um, listen and read the lyrics. But, anyway, can't, they can't all be great. It was a movie theme, my memory tells me. Really? Yeah. Well, I hope the movie wasn't as sexist as the lyrics. Now, I'm confused, Brian. I have to say I'm confused. I didn't know that, and I can't find, I didn't know Bacharach wrote The Girl from Ipanema. I didn't realise that either. Because I missed, if he did, I missed it, and I don't reckon he did. Well, I've just totally cocked up the whole thing, then, haven't I? <laughs> well, I, I, want to, I, I haven't got – I can't Google it because I'm obviously Zooming here with you, but I don't reckon he wrote The Girl from Ipanema. I reckon, wow. that, I reckon that predates even him. And his first – I think his first hit was 1952, and I reckon – I'm not sure when The Girl from Ipanema was a hit, uh, but I don't reckon he wrote it. Good well, song, wait. I've wasted a lot of tears over Bert's death because of the, <laughs> the girl from Ipanema. For all I know, the songwriter's still alive. Um, well, it was written by Antonio Carlos Yobim. And I, uh-huh. I think I think you'll find that that's Bert Bacharach's alias when he was working undercover. <laughs> In the witness protection program. <laughs> rather, than admit, rather than admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, yes. So the it was written by Antonio Carlos Cobim, but the lyrics were by Vincius de Moreos. Oh, right. Uh, now, we and, should do a whole show on Vincius de Moreos. But he probably died terrific. lyrics, here, here's where you must have got confused. Ah. Oh. Okay. Have a guess who wrote the English lyrics. Hal David? Norman Gimbel. Right. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that ties everything up into a neat boat. Yes. <laughs> yes. Norman Gimbel. Good old Norman. I remember Norman. Uh, Normie boy. I don't remember Norman at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember Mr. and Mrs. Gimbel, Norman Gimbel, or any of the Gimbels. Um, I think it was... Uh, I think it was. Uh, Don't you remember old mate. Nimble Gimble? <laughs> Nimble Gimble. <laughs> wasn't he? A, wasn't he a mate of that cricketer called Dale? 
you know, that we <laughs> talked about earlier. Yeah, anyway. He was, oh, from, he was from Sydney. He was from Pimble. Yes, Nimble, <laughs> Nimble, Mimble from Pimble. Uh, 12th man in the bespeckled uh, 11. That's why we got confused with him. He was only, uh, he was, he was only, he was a very small man, was Norman Gimble. Was he? Nothing wrong, nothing wrong yeah. with that. <laughs> no, no, he used to drink out of a thimble. Yes, he did. <laughs> All right. uh, and he was really good at pinball. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right, my next two. Uh, uh, number my number four again. You talk about the simplicity of some of the melodies and the stuff, and not confusing it. You know, like an ACDC riff and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. the, the look of love when you listen to Dusty Springfield version of that, it couldn't be a more simple song with just the the really the most uh, not barren backing, but the most uh, you know uncomplicated backing track you've ever heard. For a singer, it must have been just a, a joy to sing over the top of that. Um, and, the, and the words are good, but um, The Look of Love, I just, I just think it's a hauntingly beautiful song. Um, and the other one, I never really uh, heard a, a great version of the song, but I always thought the song was a good song. And then I heard, of all people, Raymond J. Bartholomew on the radio on the weekend um, doing the lyrics. Um, in, in sort of poetry style. Um, uh, and and I just, uh, Brian Nankervis has got a, a great gift at doing that. Um, he wasn't as Raymond J, but it was in that kind of genre that it, when he was doing Raymond J, Bartholomew. Um, I'll Never Fall in Love Again. And I thought that is just such a great song. And then I listened to the song, and it's just a, a really, again, a simple, uncomplicated song that just sticks in your head and. It all works. It all just can't like a you know, like someone put a, a really good cake together and, and put it together and it all when you get it and you pull it out you go, That's bloody brilliant. And that's that, that I, I that, that's how I feel about that. that. I think it's a great song, but there's always one lyric in it that I've had a bit of a problem with. And I don't know whether I love it or whether I hate it. Yeah, it's a funny lyric. But- but what do you get when you kiss a guy? You catch enough germs to get pneumonia. <laughs> then after that, he'll never phone you. And it's, it's kind of shit, but it's kind of what a girl, you know, 18 or 20 would probably say. So, no, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. Well, <laughs> Back then they, they would say, what do you get when you kiss a guy? A mouthful of germs and a case of pneumonia. What's the next line? Then after that, he'll, he'll never, never phone you. He'll never, he'll never bone you. There's <laughs> <laughs> a new version. I'll yeah. never get a f- again. <laughs> oh. Sorry, Steve, a little bit of editing for you there, mate. Sorry um, about that. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're my next two. All right, finally. Give us... They're good ones. They're good ones, Kev. Yeah, well, I yeah, do. He just, he just does great. I mean, they are. They're, they're timeless. Great songs, and and Finney's point at the start was perfect illustration of what this is about in terms of we were too young to appreciate what it was at. Now that we're a bit older, we, we actually get it. Now, Finney, I know you've got to go, so give us your number ones. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, number, number ones. Well, it's actually very timely because today's my daughter's birthday, Andy, and I'm going out. We're taking her out for dinner. Lovely. And she actually loves music, very musical. You can... She can hear a song and play it on a piano or very talented. Oh, good on her. And God when she was little, she had a lovely singing voice, probably still does, but too embarrassed to use it. And I used to remember her as an eight-year-old singing from the moment I wake up 
before I put on my uh, makeup. Yeah. And I actually love that song. Yeah. I, I think I think that's a beautiful line too. So you see, Hal has his days. Um, you know, from the moment I wake up before I put on my waker, I say a little prayer for you. I think it's a beautiful song. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it, obviously, most people like the Dion Warwick version. I like Aretha's. You don't? I like Aretha's. I think the best version easily was by Yoko's Pussy, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! I thought we were going to get through the show without it. Oh, what, how stupid am I? Um, uh, yes, no, the, my father' superior version. <laughs> um, yeah, now, I don't what, know. Yoko, Yoko's oh, pussy shut up, Brian! New to the <laughs> but, but what Yoko's pussy oh. does that Aretha and Dion didn't do was, oh, yes. oh, was he whistles the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> And then what? What I like about uh, after, after, she, after she whistles the chorus, <laughs> you just you just hear. That. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, All right. I want you to order a bottle of the Yoko's Pussy when you take Andy to dinner tonight, Fanny. Oh, if they've if they've got a quality salad, they'll have it. Grab <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, the fifty six Yoko's pussy things. Now, what's yeah. your number one bag? I love when they pour a little bit in the glass and you have to swish it around in your mouth, <laughs> <laughs> Just... and then spin it back in. <laughs> what? Jeez. Perfect. Honestly, what? It's a, it's, 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 it's got a lovely. We've reached. Oh, stop it! <laughs> floral We've reached new lows tonight. Floral lows with a little bit of herring. <laughs> oh Jesus! Right, I want your number number one bad, and then piss off, funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, ironically, uh, his last song was called "Beginnings." Was it? Well, the last one I've got on my list, yeah. you said, yeah. sung by Scylla Black. All right. Yep. Now, Scylla Black is, of course, England's answer to Celine Dion, <laughs> equally as nauseous, <laughs> nauseating. Cool. Yeah. Actually, that song, it's a really it's a really useless dick of a song that could have been – it could have been an Andrew Lloyd Webber song sung by Celine Dion, which, <laughs> in, which in musical terms is, you know, put the blindfold, stick the cigarette in my mouth and shoot me. Yes. Uh-huh. So, for, for, you know, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but... If you're only as good as your last song, Bert, you were shithouse. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but fortunately but, he wasn't. But the reality is he was magnificent and, um, you know, I will hear his his sweet music till the day I die. Because yeah. it is sweet. It's yeah. sweet. We all will. We all will. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm off to the birthday party. We shall tie um, to the end of this up, and uh, you uh, wish our uh, wish Andy our best. Happy birthday, and uh, en- enjoy your evening. And I hope they don't stick you too bad with the bill. Ah, oh, well, it's for the girl I love with the man that she loves with the woman that I love. It's almost 
Almost right. something Hal David could write a film about. Yeah, well, it's a, Brian thought it was <laughs> going to be a porn <laughs> film, but never mind, move on. Get a nice bottle of Yoko's pussy <laughs> to go with dinner. You'll be, what a great evening. That'll See you, funny. You know Yoko's pussy. You know, you know, it is, <laughs> as, as a wine, it's actually a very interesting wine. Mm. Of course. Because depending when what time of the month it was harvested. Oh, it oh no. <laughs> go, go. You just you just crossed the line. Oh good oh, God. Oh, yeah, bye bye, Fendido. Um, <laughs> now. Happy birthday to Andy. Oh, <laughs> oh good grief. Oh now goodness me, that's well. Well, this was easy. The, the two best for yep. me were very simple. They're good, um, yeah. Yeah, they're just both good. Um, this guy's in love. I think is okay. A, is a great song. I like the lyrics. I like the style of the music. I like the production on it. Um, but number one, which is probably no surprise, and I'm probably gazumping you, Kev. Um, close to you. Yeah, it's a the, which, the, which the Carpenters made. You know, we love the Carpenters, and um, yeah, look, you know, if I look at all of the songs that he wrote, I think that would be my favourite. I I've got the, I've got the Carpenters number two for me, uh, close yeah. to you. Uh, well, I've got the song close to you, uh, and I've got I say a prayer at uh, at number one guy. Just and, and it was hard to leave Walk On By out, and it was hard to leave a couple of Raindrops should have been in there somewhere in my top six, I think, but um, couldn't fit in. Anyone who had a heart, it's a beautiful song. Um, uh, yeah, I have you heard? I had until today, and I don't know how I missed this, because the Carpenters version of Close to You, it, it, if you're judging songs, Aretha Ooh. and and uh, and um, the Carpenters, I'd probably have the Carpenters ahead of Aretha as a song, because yeah. I just I love Karen Carpenter's voice. Yeah. Did you know too. Richard Chamberlain originally recorded Close to You? He was the first version of They Long To Be Close To You, Richard Chamberlain, the actor. Oh, no. Dr. Kildare. Like I don't even like him as an actor. It is friggin' awful. And I heard it today because I was looking through the list of uh, of the songs, the 72 um, chart hits in America that he had, top 40 chart hits, and it's got They Long To Be Close To You, Richard Chamberlain. I thought, what the hell is that about? And I looked at it. He was the first one to record the song um, before The Carpenters, and – Oh, seriously, if that had been the first version I'd heard of it and hadn't heard the cap, I would never have listened to the song again in my life. He he makes it sound like a proctology yeah. examination by a doctor you don't really like who's got really stubby fingers. Look, I don't know Richard Chamberlain. No, do I. But I, I um, suspect that a proctology examination probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him. I don't know that. But, um, I just I – always, I always had a trouble with him kissing girls and stuff and being a leading man. I thought, no, nah, I don't really think you're into the didn't girls. Didn't he do but the – he did the big thing out here, didn't he, with, with Rachel Ward, that, that massive miniseries. Did he do Thornbirds? He did Thornbirds. Yeah, he was the priest, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he – and he was the original uh, born identity as well. Was he really? Before Matt, yeah, before Matt Damon did the movie. Oh, uh, okay. I which, do, look, you know, he was Doctor. I mean, he was Doctor Dreamy before there was Doctor Dreamy when he was Doctor Kildare because there was there was Doctor Kildare and there was Ben Casey and uh, you know, look at the two um, uh, the people who played the major roles and you're going Doctor Kildare every day. The girls are going for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's a bit like Rick Springfield. Wasn't he a doctor on one of those shows? Uh, Days of Our Lives, I think he was a doctor. Dr. Noah Drake, Rick oh, yeah, Springfield. What girl, what girl wouldn't want to go to see Dr. Noah Drake? Exactly He's, right. Bit, bit of a spunk. <laughs> bit of a spunk. Bit like, bit like us, Jeff. Yes, absolutely. I thought the same thing myself, Dr. Mannix. We can talk about that now that Finey's not here because we don't want to say that, you know, you and me are spunks and Finey, you're here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we can, we can just – we can, finally we can be honest. But that's terrific. Uh, and, and we're done. That's it. We've celebrated Bert Bacharach's life. We've uh, we've talked about cricket. We've uh, named a bespeckled 11 and a uh, skinfold uh, 11 as well. We'll put that out into a, a bit more of a list before, well, uh, this before week, next week. This week's episode was a lot about death, really, wasn't it? Well, the death of the Australian cricket team in India, followed by Bert Bagger. Well, yeah. So here you go, Kev. Oh, it's a cross. That's the end of tonight's episode of <laughs> The Deathalyzer. Yes. All right, Mr. Mannix, take care. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Kev. Um, great, great talking to you, and uh, thank you, Finey, for leaving early. That's terrific. <laughs> well, you left, uh, you left early last week. You dropped out last week for about 20 minutes well, and then came back. A lot of people reckon it was the best show ever because <laughs> I, was, I was out of it for 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, I'm take done. care, mate. Cheers, buddy. See ya. You've just experienced rock and roll. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook.